The scripture is taken from Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in it of his head while, in his, while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stood on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that, were, that was before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by, its root, by, their, by the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. The book of Daniel is written as a book to comfort God's people, and to particularly comfort God's people when you're not sure what the future holds, especially on the political scene. The key verse, if you want to mark it in the book of Daniel, would well be Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, where there's a declaration made that God rules in the kingdoms of men. God rules in the kingdoms of men. Routinely, all throughout particularly the well-known parts of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, where you have Daniel purposing not to defile himself with the king's uh, delicacies there in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, where he's going to not pur or purpose his body not to eat the things that, God, that uh, the king wants him to eat to, to be a healthy, according to the king, uh, advisor to him. We know Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream about this giant statue with the different parts, one being bronze and then silver and then iron and, and, and uh, wanting to know what, uh, what all those different parts mean, the top being gold. And Daniel interprets that and interprets it about God ruling and doing something in the days of kings, particularly in several kingdoms later. Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to stand as the king makes a 90-foot-tall gold statue and commands everybody to bow down at the sound of all the instruments, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being the ones who are still standing. Daniel chapter 4, having Nebuchadnezzar, who is so lofty and so proud and so pompous that he dreams a dream about what happens to him, especially, and Daniel interprets the dream to say, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to spend some time out in the field eating grass like a beast. Until you know that God rules in the kingdoms of men. That's the context of the key verse, chapter 4 and verse 17. 
Daniel chapter 5, we uh, continue on and moving along as far as Belshazzar's feast, where Belshazzar is eating and, and drinking with his lords, and he uh, commands the vessels from the temple to be brought to him, and they begin to eat and drink, and you remember the hand, man's hand that writes the words on the wall that Belshazzar is going to die that very night. And you remember Daniel chapter 6, of course, where Daniel spends some time in the lion's den based upon the fact that the others who had accused him to the king, Darius, had told him that, uh, that the only way we can trap Daniel is through his God. And as Daniel goes through each one of these things, the emphasis is God saves, God delivers, God rules. God saves, God delivers, God rules. God saves, God delivers, God rules. And all throughout the first six chapters of Daniel, you have those words repeated. God saves, God delivers, God rules. And so is it any wonder that in a book where uh, the central focus about God ruling in the kingdoms of men is meant to comfort these Jews who are in exile, who will shortly be allowed to go back to their land, but they still need to know something about the God of heaven, that he's the one that's ultimately in charge of things. You know, I know that in theory, and I know that in principle, don't you? That God is going to be sovereign regardless of what happens here on this earth. And yet sometimes what happens is, is in the thick of it, when you get down in the trenches and you realize the tumult and the difficulty that happens in the political scene and the difficulties of politics and not knowing what the present rulers are doing, not knowing what the current rulers are doing and then the future rulers are going to do, it's hard to keep that in mind, isn't it? That God saves, God delivers, God rules, that God is always going to rule in the kingdoms of men. And I feel like that's the reason why Daniel chapter 7 is where it is within our text. Because sometimes it's easy to get down on the political scene whenever you don't know what's going to happen, well, in our country on Tuesday. We can suspect, we can make some educated guesses, but the truth is, we don't really know. What happens if my candidate loses? I appreciate Logan's article on the front of the reminder. I hope that you'll read it today because his thinking and my thinking are pretty well aligned as far as these, these things go. And it's not because he and I just think alike, it's because we've read the same Bible. We know the same God. And if we're going to be people that want to honor and glorify him, we've got to understand that when we're down in the trenches, we've got to keep our eyes on the fact that God is going to rule in the kingdoms of men. God is going to rule in the American empire. Notice contextually where Daniel chapter 4 falls, or Daniel chapter 7 rather falls, and notice a couple of things about that to understand the political scene Daniel is dealing with. There is a mighty big gap where Daniel chapter 7 fits. Look at the very end of chapter 4. At the very end of chapter 4, what you're looking at is Babylon, the kingdom, at its absolute height of glory. Daniel chapter 4 ends with Nebuchadnezzar giving, being given his heart back. He's no longer eating grass with the, with the beast of the field. He's no longer uh, um, just, uh, just a beast, an animal like God told him he would be. He told him he would be restored if he, uh, when he acknowledged that God was the one that ruled. And Nebuchadnezzar writes this message to all the people in his kingdom, and he wants them to know. And he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways are justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down with liberty and justice for all. You kind of get the sense that that's the way chapter 4 ought to end. And yet look also at how chapter 5 begins. Chapter 5, verse 1, tells Belshazzar, 
now a generation removed from Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar the king made a feast for the thousand of his lords. Chapter 4 ends with the height of Babylonian greatness and the height of the Babylonian empire, while chapter 5 begins to show the very last night that Babylon is going to be a world power. Because at the very end of chapter 5, what's going to happen is Belshazzar is going to be killed. He's going to be assassinated. And Darius the Mede, a brand new kingdom, a brand new ruler, is going to take his place and is going to assume the throne of a brand new empire. And right there in the middle, chapter 7 is right there in a chronological sandwich between the tithe of Babylonian empire and the last night Babylon is going to be an empire. Chapter 7 is chronologically fits right in that gap between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Why do I know that? Look at the very first verse of chapter 7. The very first verse of chapter 7 says, Belshazzar the king, in the first year of Belshazzar the king. This is the king that in chapter 5 is going to be assassinated, but here's the very first day, here's the very first year rather that he's ruling, and that's exactly where chapter 7 is going to fall. I think that's significant especially as Daniel receives this vision of which Jason just read so clearly just a moment ago, which we're going to look at and we're going to discuss today. Once again, let me, just for emphasis, give you the main point of what we need to understand as God's people here today, almost, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 years removed, 2,500 years removed. No matter what we see in the earthly political scene, our responsibility as God's people is to watch and to know that God's rule is not subject to those changes in our political scene. God's rule is not subject to who sits in the White House. God's rule is not subject to which judges are in power. God's rule is not subject to which political party controls the House or the Senate. God's rule is not subject to which governor is going to be anointed after Tuesday, which governor is going to be the one who's picked by the people here in our representative republic. Let's look at the chapter together, and I want you to notice some things about what happens because sometimes we can lose sight of that, and the political scene can absolutely get us down because I believe in chapter 7 it got Daniel down. Notice a couple of things. Changes in a political landscape. When there's changes that happen, there are a couple of things that happen with us. It can often yield distress for God's people. It can often yield distress for God's people. Do a survey of this chapter with me just for a moment, and I want you to notice the range of emotions that Daniel goes through based upon what he sees here in Daniel chapter 7. The very first one, which I believe is right off the bat, is something like restlessness, verses 1 and 2. Daniel says, I received these dreams, I received these visions while I was on my bed. And I can't imagine Daniel sleeping there nice and peacefully. You know, God has covered, pull it all up, he's been tucked in, and, and he's just laying there and everything's good. As he's receiving this, especially as verse 2, says here's the four winds of heaven and they are stirring up the sea and as each one of those beasts begins to come out from verse 3 verse 4 verse 5 verse 6 and those things come out can you imagine Daniel there on his bed receiving this dream and these visions and thinking I don't know how this is going to happen <laughs> yet at the same time I also kind of wonder Daniel and his restlessness perhaps could have something to do with this being Belshazzar's first year as king. 
You know, have you ever had a boss that you loved and you respected, or maybe you didn't love them and you didn't respect them so much, but, but you, you know that there was a consistency about that boss and the fact that you knew what to expect with that previous boss. Even though they may ask some unreasonable things sometimes, you know that, those pe- you, know that you can anticipate those unreasonable things and you can handle it. And then all of a sudden that boss leaves and that boss retires and now you get a brand new boss and you don't know what they expect and you don't know what the expectations are because maybe they haven't vocalized them to you or maybe they're just dealing with some other things and you don't know what to expect. You know, there's not a lot of comfort that comes with something like that. Daniel being in the service of Nebuchadnezzar for years and years and years and now having a brand new boss, if you will, in Belshazzar and perhaps recognizing something of the pride that we see in chapter 5 in this man, maybe there's an aspect of that that as Daniel is thinking, what in the world have I got myself into? Who in the world am I serving here in Daniel chapter 5? The question we have to ask is sometimes are we restless because we have different situations that are perhaps out of our control Daniel laying here on his bed is restless it seems here on this occasion notice also there is a feeling of fear and dread that comes about based upon what Daniel sees here on his bed fear and dread there are four beasts that arise note this out of the sea that's going to be important here in just a little bit Here's four beasts that arise. The first one is a lion with eagle's wings. The second one Daniel sees is a bear that's up on one side. The bear is already chewing on three ribs, and he's told, arise and devour much flesh. And the third beast Daniel sees is a leopard that has wings. And the fourth one, the first three had the word like. It was like a lion with eagle's wings. It was like a bear up on one side. It was like a leopard. The fourth one doesn't have any likeness. The fourth one, he says, is a beast that is great and terrible. It is a beast that Daniel's looking at that has no equal, and he says, this one is dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then he begins to describe the horns, especially one little one that had a big mouth on it. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. Can you imagine laying on your bed and receiving a vision like this where you're seeing these beasts that are being brought through? Just for context, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want you to realize what Daniel is seeing is a view of these kingdoms, particularly because in the context he's going to say that each one of these beasts is a king or is a kingdom, a king representing his kingdom. And as he goes through, what you're going to see is what Daniel is currently engaged in. There, He's in the Babylonian empire. This is the lion with the eagle's wings. And then next he's going to see the the Medo-Persians, the bear that's beginning to conquer and beginning to to devour all these nations and all these lands. But the bear's not done. The bear's going to continue to devour. And then later on he's going to see the kingdom of Greece, this leopard that moves quickly that's given these wings. You know that it took Alexander the Great in the Greek Empire about 12 years to conquer the known world? That was unheard of. Nobody can imagine 12 years and having the entire known world conquered. That was who Alexander was. That was what he did. And lastly, with this great beast of which there is no like, you've got the Roman Empire that's going to fulfill everything that he's talking about. 
Romans had the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, to where we're going to put you down if there's any kind of dissidence or any kind of difficulty. Rome was ruthless. And as Daniel sees these things, there's a fear, there's a dread there of knowing the fact that God is giving him this vision there in the first year of his new boss, Belshazzar. Notice something else. Daniel says, when I saw these things, when I heard about this, I had grief. I had trouble in my mind there in verse 15. Grief and a trouble of mind. There was something else about these things that changed his demeanor and changed his countenance. Daniel said it's no longer a matter of looking because he had these visions, these images that were so fixed in his mind that he's walking around and just consumed with these things. There's grief. Everybody could see it on Daniel's face that there was something he was concerned about. And notice that as he has an opportunity, he's going to ask questions to say, tell me about these beasts. Tell me about, tell me about that fourth kingdom especially. That was what he was really interested in. I want to know what's going on with that. Tell me about that horn that you saw. And may I draw an analogy just for a moment or draw a parallel rather. Friends, I watch Christians go through an election process and go through an election cycle every two years, every four years, every six years, as the case may be, and there are people that will experience all of these things, some or all. And the question we have to ask is, when you're there in the trenches, do you remember that God rules in the kingdoms of men, that God is aware I appreciate the fact that Daniel just didn't get this prophecy from anywhere. I appreciate the fact that Daniel is being given this specifically by God. A lot of people get up stirred by things that they read in Revelation and they wonder about the horsemen there in chapter, uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6. And they wonder about all those beasts there and, and, and uh, the beast number 1 and beast number 2 who served the great red dragon there in Dan uh, Revelation chapter 12. Oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? When you've got to remember the grand scheme that God is the one who gave those visions in the first place. God is the one who wanted his people to know, particularly in Revelation, you've got the victory. Be faithful till death. Don't get so caught up in the images that you fail to remember that the God of heaven knew that all of these things were going to happen. And all these things were under control. Yes, they're talking about inflation going crazy. Yes, they're talking about things that, that, are, that are tumultuous here in this life. What's Russia going to do? I don't know. God knows. God cares. God sees. God is in control. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Notice something else that happens in a political landscape, changing political landscape. Sometimes that can yield some very difficult lives, especially for God's people. Daniel's concerned about that little horn. And as we mentioned, that little horn, it appears a number of times throughout Daniel chapter 7. And that little horn has been shown to have a big mouth. Because every time you see that little horn, speaking especially about one of the Roman kings, especially Roman emperors, and you can debate, you can talk about this, but notice what the Roman horn, this, this little horn is doing of the Roman Empire. A little horn is speaking great, blasphemous words. 
He is speaking against God. He is speaking against God's people there in verse 8. He's speaking blasphemous words there in verse 11 and 12. He's speaking blasphemous words there in verse 20. He's speaking blasphemous words and uh, uh, aligning himself against God's people there in verse 25. Sometimes the littlest men can have the biggest mouths. And sometimes we can pay attention to their words far too often. This little horn is not done. This little horn then begins to create big problems for God's people, for the saints. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Daniel sees that his purpose there is to make war with the saints. And not only that, but it looks like Daniel, according to what he's seeing here in this vision, is he's making war against the saints and he is winning. He's prevailing against them. That causes stress for Daniel. That caused some difficulty so much so that his countenance changed. Everybody could see it on his face that there was some difficulty based upon this horn that was being there in this prophecy. But this little horn wasn't done also. This little horn was intent on making these big changes. Look down to verse 25 just for a moment. One of the things he says is they are persecuting or he is persecuting. Literally, he is going to wear out the saints. You ever feel worn out? You ever feel worn out by your government, by the difficulties that you face? Here's a little horn that's there to make big trouble for the people of God and to wear them out, to persecute them. Notice also that one of his purposes is to intend to change times and laws. All right, I'm going to make an empire-wide edict. We're going to have a new order. We're going to have a new feast day. There's a new schedule. There's a new table of religious and social festivals, and everybody is obligated to provide. Folks, keep in mind, this is not based upon a two-year, four-year, or six-year election cycle. This is a man who is in power from the day that he is coronated until the day that he, is di- until the day he dies. Can you put yourself in the minds of a first century Christian as they're thinking about these things and realizing there is somebody in power that, mercy, if I had to choose, I wouldn't have chosen him. He's intent to change times and laws. Notice he's going to give the saints into their hands. He's going to give, uh, the saints are going to be given into his hand. And notice that there's a time limit for times Time, uh, time, times, and half a time. You say, what in the world is that? To be honest, I don't really know. But what I do know is that is a limited duration. I think the comfort is that that is limited. There's a time when that, cease, that, uh, that person is going to cease what they're doing. And that person and that persecution and that difficulty that these saints are enduring based upon the fact that there are changes within their political scene, those things are only temporary in nature. They're not going to be forever. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? The truth is, Daniel is given this, and what God wants to command, what God wants to emphasize in his people is faithfulness being the rule by which you live by. It is not political activism. It is not becoming a rebel rouser against the government. It is not organizing a riot because our candidate doesn't win. Those things are not godly. Those things are not biblical. What God wants his people to do and what he wants them to be is to continue to be faithful 
to continue to honor the king, to continue to pray for all those who are in authority. Wait, even if I don't agree with them politically? Yes. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, you're obligated to pray for all those kings and all those who are in authority. Peter says, honor the king. Really, Peter? You wrote that under Nero. Don't you know what he was doing to Christians? Yes, I do. You honor him. You pray for him. Your job as a Christian, God says, is to be faithful. To be faithful to God and as much as possible, Romans chapter 13, you respect the government. You respect the government because God rules in the kingdoms of men. Notice number three. One of the things we can understand about Daniel chapter 7, I believe this is the focal point of this chapter, is that changes in a political landscape will never diminish God's sovereignty one bit. And the reason why I can say that is in the midst of what Daniel sees with these beasts, in the middle of this stirring up of the great sea to where all of these beasts are coming out of the sea and each one of them just seems like it's getting worse, each one of them just seems like he's worse than the last one, Notice what Daniel sees there in verses 9 and 10. He sees the Ancient of Days. And notice some characteristics about the Ancient of Days that Daniel needs to have burned in his mind. And brothers and sisters, as we go through a political scene that may be messy, where the mudslinging is at an all-time high and where we don't know what's going to happen in the future, notice that the Ancient of Days, there is sanity because he is there and he is sitting on his throne. The Ancient of Days is not standing up, wringing his hands and scratching his head and going, I don't know what to do next. He is firmly in control. He is seated on his throne. That ought to give us some sanity in an insane political world. The talking heads are going to talk. The people are going to argue. They're going to uh, throw the vitriol around on Facebook and on uh, social media platforms and in the comment sections of every news article if they can. But God is seated on his throne. There is sanity there. There's also an understanding that God sees what's going on and he is he's going to deal with it. You see that God, right in, after these horns are revealed, especially the little horn with the big mouth speaking great blasphemous words, God sees and he's going to deal with it. Bible idea of fire proceeding from the throne of God indicates there's a limited amount of time that God's going to put up with this. His will will consume. Notice something else. There's also a majesty that you see in this scene. Of God seated on his throne and a thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. God's rule is sovereign, and that is not subject to change with the changing political tides and the changing uh, of which, which beast is coming out of the sea at this time. And along this point, notice where that little horn is sandwiched there in verse 11. You see the ancient of days there in verses 9 and 10. There's the little horn speaking great blasphemous words, but notice who comes next, because we're not done. Verses 13 and 14 reveal that there is a son of man who is coming to the Ancient of Days in verses 14 and 14, uh, 13 and 14. And notice the characteristics of the Son of Man. He is coming with the clouds of heaven. He's not like those beasts who came out of the sea. He came with the clouds. 
He is given everything that the men desire to have. Everything that men, earthly men, seek to, they seek the power, they seek the dominion, they seek the kingdom. And this Son of Man is given all of those things. He's given dominion, he's given a kingdom, and these things, the Bible says, are everlasting. Chart the word dominion, chart the word kingdom all throughout Daniel chapter 7. You're going to get a good sense of what this chapter is all about. And that is in contrast to this loudmouth horn that we see, verses 26 and 27. And the truth of the matter is that God wants us to understand horns, kings, rulers, governors, however you want to term it, these men will always be mortal, but the God of heaven will always be eternal. He is still seated on his throne, not subject to change, ever In the things that we understand about Daniel chapter 7, let me give you four applications to consider as we finish this morning. Number one, no matter who's in charge, Jesus will always be king. You know who's coming to finally deal with all the nations and all the injustice and all the difficulties and all the problems and messes that men create trying to think that they have their own best way and they know what's best for the economy and they know what's best for social and uh, the economic gains and those things. And all the difficulties and messes that we deal with here in this life. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, sees and he will right all wrongs, not subject to change. He is on his throne and he will come and he will deal with these things. Be careful how you watch a political cycle. Let me draw your mind and your eyes back to Daniel chapter 7 one more time. Look at Daniel chapter 7 and I want you to look and notice. You may circle or underline these in your Bible. Verse 2, Daniel says, I saw. You see it? I saw. Look at verse 4. Right in the middle of the verse, the first like a lion had eagle's wings, I watched. You see it? Underline it, circle it. It's all the same Greek word. Verse 6, or uh, Hebrew word rather. Uh, verse 6, after this, I looked. Verse 7, after this, I saw. Verse 9, I watched. Verse 11, two times, I watched then. Because of the sound of the pompous words with the horns was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. Look down to verse 13. Verse 13, I was watching. One last one, verse 21, I was watching. Daniel, as he sees this, sees. And Daniel, as he's given this vision and these dreams about these future nations, and about the difficulties that they may possibly cause for the people of God. Daniel is watching intently to see what's going to happen and what's going to come out next. Can I be candid with you? I'm going to be candid with you regardless of if you want. It was rhetorical, so there you go. I want you to understand, church, you can occupy your time and spend your life watching the talking heads on TV. And you can feel like it gives you a measure of control 
to sit there and watch every single news program and follow Fox News or CNN or whatever your choice of poison is, and you can watch those things so intently and read every political article, and you can read everything about every candidate, and you can feel like that watching helps keep you informed. And that watching, oh, let me tell you, if I'm not watching, then they're going to pull something over my, my eyes. You're going to watch as if that's going to give you a measure of control over something in essence you really have no control over. It is God who sets up kingdoms. It is God who puts kings in place. It is God who brings those men down. You remember Jesus standing before Pilate? What Pilate said, don't you know that I have the authority to to release you? Don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you? What did Jesus say on that occasion, John 19? You would have no authority if it wasn't given to you from above. God sets in place who he wants to be in place. Be careful the way you watch a political cycle. You know why? Because with all those times that he used the word watch, The temptation is to want to say, I'm going to watch, verses 9 and 10, the Ancient of Days. I'm going to watch, verse 13 and 14, the Son of Man. But I'm going to watch him just the same as I want to watch everything else. Yeah, I see these great beasts. Yeah, I see the Ancient of Days. Yeah, I see these other great beasts. Yeah, I see this little pompous horn. What are we to do? When the central focus of what our eyes ought to see and what they ought to gravitate to is what we see in God doing what we see in Jesus doing and coming and getting a kingdom from the son, from the, the ancient of days. If we don't regard that as higher than everything else that we see here on this earth, yes, we're going to come away with a messed up political view, and yes, we're going to come away with a messed up view of God. Be careful how you're watching the political cycle. If you're concerned about it, pray about it. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. We've got to remember where the kingdom, where the power, where the dominion will always be. Keep your eyes on that. And let me say this at the outset, pray for our nation, pray for its rulers, pray for rulers that will help us to live more godly lives in Christ Jesus. America is such a fragile experiment in the grand scheme of things, a little over 200 years we've been in existence and we see how fragile this nation really is but how we have an opportunity to participate in the election process. And regardless of what you think of that process, do your civic duty. Go out and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I am going to tell you vote godly as much as possible. Vote for people that are going to uphold godly virtues and enabled us to live quiet and peaceable lives, as Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray for our election. Pray for the country. Pray for the process. But don't ever forget, church. God rules in the kingdoms of men. Let's stand and let's sing our invitation song.